Welcome to Keeping Up With Life, where we empower you with health, business and family life strategies for you to live your best days. I'm your host, Pippa Hansen. I'm the CEO, a mother of teenagers and have a passion to live an active and healthy life. Each episode contains practical tips and insights on how you can succeed in all aspects of your life, delivered to you in bite-sized pieces to implement straight away. This episode is brought to you by the Sports Injury Clinic, whose mission is to enhance the lives of its clients, staff, other professionals and the greater community. Today I'd love to welcome Yasani Heron. Yasani is a pelvic floor physiotherapist and today we're going to be talking about paediatric continence. Welcome, C. Hi. So tell me, first of all, I suppose what pelvic floor physio is, just so our listeners can get an understanding of that. Sure. Well, pelvic floor physio is actually covered a, a wide, broad range of conditions, really. Um, so it can be varies from bladder dysfunctions, anything with, you know, needing to rush to get to the toilet, can't make it, obviously leakages, um, or bowel dysfunction, you know, constipation, can't really quite empty properly, incomplete emptying to, again, incontinence side of thing. Um, We also cover um, anything to do with prolapse, vaginal heaviness, and to sexual dysfunction, pelvic pain uh, for both men and women. And, you know, I also do see children. Yeah, such a wide variety of yeah. conditions, but also so important, and that's obviously why there's a specialty in it, um, and not just seen by your everyday musk physio. Yeah, so so to be in this field, we we definitely have to do further training, either a, a post grad certificate or a master's degree. Yeah. Yep. And so you mentioned children. So tell me what sort of things you see and how um, how children end up coming to you. Yeah. Well, look, um, with children, um, I do see a wide range from, you know, from three to four-year-old to up to, you know, teenage years. So um, in children, um, they present quite similarly to adults with, you know, urgency, needing to rush, sometimes quite, don't quite make it to the toilet. So it can be a daytime urinary um, issue, um, but also the night time, like night wetting um, to, you know, constipation and also, um, yeah, having some accidents with the bowel as well. So those are the conditions that normally I do see. How the three- to four-year-old age group, obviously hard for them to communicate. So what sort of, yeah, you know, how do they end up with you? What sort of things does a parent think is not... Mm. what they should be doing for that age group? Yeah. So I think for that age group, I think sometimes it can be an incident of um, they just, um, like, for example, like for a bowel, like um, uh, it can be like, you know, withholding behaviour. So it could be an incident of they just have had a painful bowel motion and then they just refuse to go to the toilet and poo on a toilet again. So it's, it's a lot of behavioural therapy that I do as well, as well, as well as, you know, there may not be physical thing as such, but sometimes it's a behavioural approach that we need to manage. Um, obviously, we make sure that, uh, um, you know, the stool itself is soft and things like that. But, yeah, it can be from, from that point that trigger parents to, to come to see me. Um, sometimes it's that 
they can't make it to the toilet and, you know, they're just having accident after accident. But for those, sometimes can be in a more older age, like maybe after six or something, five or six, then they start to be seeing the parents towards my my way and saying, oh, maybe we should do something about this, yeah. So it can almost get missed in those younger years and as an age. Yeah, like because I work at um, Monash Children as well and, and they do say that, you know, in – the conscience clinic there, they actually don't um, see patients until they're about probably six, um, but in a privately, sometimes I do see a bit younger if they do have those, you know, behavioural issues and things like that to come and see me. Yeah. yeah. And I know when you're um, toilet training and things, some kids do take longer um, to toilet train. So Correct. is that that age group can be difficult to yeah, work out what's... exactly. So it's like a, a rough t- a guideline would be like, okay, for, for bowel... By about four, you should be, um, you know, kids should be constant with the bowel. For bladder, sometimes it can take up to five, um, and that's why I think that's why with monarch children they don't often see kids until yeah six years old. Yeah, yeah. And so once they're um, once they're I suppose able to communicate a bit better in those in they're in those teenage years, is it the same sort of thing that you're seeing them for, or do things change and you're seeing them for different things? Yeah, so they, they, they do change quite a bit. Um, so often in the teenage years, I often see more um, leakage problem with um, sport activities. So sometimes like, you know, a gymnast or sometimes with footy, dance, they do come to see me and I'm like, oh, um, you know, parents will be like, oh, it's happening. And sometimes they may even have pelvic pain issues, whether they come in conjunction, but they're not thinking that that correlate to what's happening to their bladder as well. That could be like an overactive bladder kind of um, problem where, you know, it's a bladder that doesn't like feeling very much and then it starts to, you know, needing to go to the toilet often and can cause leakages as well. Um, often in kids, um, it's not the pelvic floor weakness as such. Sometimes it's the pelvic floor tension. So we're working on uh, relaxation of the pelvic floor side of thing to, to help assist with the leakage side of thing too. Um, and But sometimes I, I do see kids where I have to thoroughly assess the whole um, mechanic really from the pelvis down to the lower limbs, like the legs, because um, sometimes I do see kids with who are very hypermobile to have issue with with bladder you know, leakages as well and as well as the pelvic pain. So it's actually not just retraining the pelvic floor. Sometimes you have to retrain the whole lower leg, the whole biomechanics really. That's amazing, isn't it? You wouldn't wouldn't think that. Yeah. So, again, how does this age group come to you? Because I would think that a teenager that's got some leakage is quite embarrassed. Yes, yes, I know. So I think think probably the parents and the more – the driving force really because I think when it is, um, you know, they might talk to their parents a bit more on like, oh, you know, I, I do have this issue here. And then the parent's like, well, maybe we need to source out. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, the word of mouth. Um, a lot of parents talk to one another in a team sport and things and mm. they're like, oh, yeah, I've come to see you because I've heard, you know, someone else come to see you and, you know, and it's a, it's a lot of word of mouth as well as um, more, all of that too. So it's sometimes it's the parents that drive. Yeah. Because um, I would think 
you know, it is such a specialty that there yeah. would be people that wouldn't realise that yes. your services are around, particularly mm. for children. Mm. And, you know, you've talked about um, pelvic floor tension, yeah. whereas as a woman you grow up and you sort of go, oh, we're going to do our pelvic floor exercises and we're going to make sure that we don't end up with a prolapse, but you're not thinking about what might happen in those younger years. Yes, yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, a lot of parents, I, you know, like when, when the kids come, they'll be like, oh, I never thought of, you know, that the pelvic floor can go the other way. Yeah. I thought, is it because it's so weak that we need to train it up? And, and in, in kids and teenage years, it's not about training up so much. It's about almost down-train yeah. that pelvic floor. So people. where does attention come from then? Is that a... So the tension can be, um, it can come from various sources um, and it's about identifying, narrowing down to what it could be. Um, as I mentioned before about the hypermobility, hyper um, so some some kids would just be born with a bit more, have more flexibility in their joints, but those um, population also need a lot more strength as well, you know, and and by doing so, sometimes the tension just kind of um, creeping up over time, and and I'm and I explain this with the tension. It you know the muscle tension can go up and down mm-hmm. without any problem, yep. but um, once it reaches a certain line, it goes above a certain line. That's when it becomes symptomatic, and then that's then it can cause you know. Voiding dysfunction, you know, not emptying properly, leakages and, you know, pelvic pain and, and et cetera. Do you see more um, males or females in children? Is it- um, I think for, I would say in the teenage years, probably more girls. Yep. More girls are coming through. Um, sometimes I think with the teenagers, they also go through that hormonal changes. Yeah. So sometimes that also the trigger that can change, um, you know, it may impact on certain um, joints and, you know, um, muscular structure as well. But for younger age, I can do, I can see a mix yep. of both really. And the, I mean, as you've said, we're talking about a, a muscle, it's just an internal muscle. So you see these things mm. in, in other muscles. So, you know, sometimes yeah. they're tight, sometimes they're loose. And yeah. so it's, it's not... Um, it's not an extraordinary thing, is it? And it shouldn't be a taboo topic. People should be happy yeah. to talk about it and know that there's help out there yes. for these kids as well. Yes. Um, as you said, the, if you're at gymnasts or dancers or footy players having leakage, that could be really embarrassing for them and you mm. don't want them to stop playing their sport no. if, they, if they don't realise that there's some really easy help out there. Exactly. And a lot of, you know, kids are very active these days and they, they love their sports and they, you know, my aim is always to to keep them playing and enjoying what they do. It's about yes, yes, and this is one of the way to get people to understand as well that you know we have services that are available to to make sure that people understand. Yeah, yeah, and some really easy fixes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, and and you know the way we I assess pelvic floor, we I use um, an ultrasound in room, so visually you can see what's going on. Um, you know we can assess whether they're emptying properly, and so on. That's that's um, yeah, it's a good visual tool, really. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, is this an old wives' tale or not? Where girls have to hold on longer because there's no, you know, as children, toilets aren't always available, but boys can just urinate anywhere. Their parents, you know, <laughs> behind a tree. And and is that good or bad for both of them in terms yeah. of a girl's holding on too long and a boy's not holding on long enough? And Yeah. So so with, with bladder, um, bladder is a muscular 
structure and a lot of people sometimes not realising that. Um, when it's stretch, it's supposed to relax and fill. So um, and until it reaches a certain amount, it then relay a message to your brain to, to say, hey, brain, you know, um, can I go now? Should I go? And then the brain then dictate whether it should go or not. And if it, yes, it should go, then the bladder then contract gently and giving a signal of needing to go. Um, but, you know, if, if we ignore that urge, then, then the bladder then relaxes and, and feel a bit more. Um, so the bladder ha- have a capacity to just gentle, give you gentle warning before it reach a maximum capacity. So to answer that question, it's almost need a balance between not holding on too much. Mm. And, and um, you know, it's uh, often a lot of parents come to, you know, or I treated, um, you know, adults that come to see me and say, oh, I always, you know, go to the toilet before I leave home or I always go to the toilet it's just a habit. I've always been told to do that way. So sometimes that also not great because it actually teaches the bladder to hold smaller volume and then pre-empty. So that's all not always good. Um, so often, you know, after th- six, I often just just let the bladder do its own thing because they should actually start to just listen to those signals and things like that. So, yeah, it's a bit of a balance between the two. Um, overholding is probably overstretched the bladder, but I also treat the bladder that, you know, become overstretched and then it doesn't contract properly to empty. Yep. Then it retained the fluid in the bladder. So, you know, um, I think it's about, you know, having that balance, you know, let them let them listen to their own signal and if they – occasional time where, you know, if we go on a long trip, that's probably fine, but maybe just let them listen to their own signal first and and go when they need to go, I think. Yeah. <laughs> We're all guilty of telling the kids to go to the loo before they get in the car so you don't have to stop. <laughs> so, yeah. Five yeah, minutes exa- after you're in, I need to exactly, go. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I've got two children, yeah. you know. I do say that sometimes, but I, I also realise that, you know, there's the downfall and, you know, I just let them do what they do, need to do. But, yes, a long trip, like if it's like, you know, you know that you're going to go for like an hour or two hours trip, you're like, okay, let's let's do it here. Yeah. Um, let's do it before we leave. That's, that's fair enough. And that's once in a while and that's okay. Um, I think the only just in case um, that we say it's okay to do daily is before bed. Yeah. And that and that's fine. Okay, so yeah. I was I just made a note, so bedwetting. How yeah. what's normal? You know, what age group? Ah, bedwetting. So the the nighttime um, continence for kids always come later than the day. And the daytime can impact on the nighttime. So um when I treat night wetting, it's always looking at the daytime um, behaviour as well. So it's not always the nighttime issue. So, um, But the age, roughly, look, above six, you should be um, no longer wetting at night. So if that's still happening, sometime even five, I do start to see children around five as well, then... Um, you know, that's when, yes, we, we need to manage that properly. Yep. And again, is that, can that be development or can, is it sometimes laziness or, you know, what other um, things contribute to it? Yeah. It's again, like, um, big various things again. So it could be, um, bladder capacity. So meaning some, some kids just not, um, holding much 
volume in their bladder and then the bladder doesn't like stretching very much um, and it's starting to ring a bell too soon. Some kids, for the night time, it could be like the arousal as well because at night normally in adults what happens is that, you know, when the bladder fills, it wakes us up because then it tells us that there's something in there. But for kids, in some kids, um, they may have um, hormone that um, sometimes limit, you know, um, or chemical that limit um, or sometimes produce too much urine or sometimes, yeah, and then have that threshold that they then don't arouse enough to wake mm-hmm. up to that sensation. The um, It'd be nice not to wake in the night, wouldn't it? It would be. <laughs> as long as you weren't wetting the bed. <laughs> it would be good. It would be good. But, yeah, so it's it's about uh, assessing, you know, how much the daytime affecting and sometimes it's about training um, that ca- bladder capacity up during the day to help with the night. Um, but we also utilise this alarm, which actually eventually we utilise that that. It's almost a conditioning training. Yeah, okay. Um, teaches them to understand that this is when um, the blood is supposed to ring a bell. Um, it's almost that alarm training that we do for night wedding. Yeah. I'm doing that with a puppy at the moment. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, putting him out very late at night and hopefully he makes it through the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, no, it's, um, and it is hard for kids when they wet the bed, isn't it, because then they're, in, again, they're upset, they're tired, yes. they've got wet sheets everywhere and... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And, and particularly the age group, as you said, six, they're starting school, they're getting invited mm, to friends' houses, you know. I think they're sleeping over that, that started. Like because some kids sometimes it's not um, – some kids are very bothered yeah. by that, um, but with night wetting. Some kids are not as bothered. Or you also have the other scale that not as bothered. But then I think there's uh, – once there is a motivation of like, you know, they're going to friend's house and they're like, mm, okay, then that can actually kickstart on them being wanting to yeah. work on this, you know, yeah. as well. So, yes. Great. Yeah, but it is that age group where it's, yeah, start to be more affecting their social yeah. side of thing. Fabulous. All right, so – so many things that you can help kids for and with, and I think it's, uh, as we said earlier, it's so important that people know that your services are available because it's simple, it's non-invasive, I take it most of yes. the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely non-invasive. We're very, um, you know, um, we approach, provide, um, assess certain factors that we can modify, it, um, which is easy, simple um, to put in place, um, you know, I always work with make sure that the routine that kind of work for each family really. And, yes, it's it's just so simple with, you know, sometimes it just – sometimes it might just be from fluid modification to behaviour uh, modification and then that that's all, like, you know, that's all really that's what you need to do. Um, to get things started in a positive way and then the kids it's sometimes with kids it's almost a flip and a switch too yeah it's almost like you know there's a bit of you know a slow progress and then suddenly it's just a, a, a switch and then they just like yep okay I'm good now I'm good now <laughs> <laughs> and I think just as importantly for the parents you're there to assure them you know and educate them that this is okay and we can work with this and we can all then yeah because obviously as parents you you feel the guilt of raising your children and getting mm. things right and trying yes. to do the best you can. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's about 
um, yeah, for parents to understand that there's, you know, there's, you know, something that we can try, there's options, um, we can't, if this doesn't work, all right, we'll go with this. There's a plan. So I think that also reassure lots of parents that, okay, if we work on this, there's a next step to, to go on. Yeah. Um, and that helps a lot with, you know, yeah, understanding everything, yeah. Yeah, and as you said, normalises it. You know, if, if you're getting people that are coming because of word of mouth, then they're, they're yeah. discussing it and they're, it's good that it's that it's yeah. being chatted about it in um, family yeah. groups and, and social groups and, yeah. and that you're there to both the family and the children. Yeah, no, it's good. Thank you very much for sharing your knowledge today and we do hope that um, you can continue to help as many children and obviously adults as possible and that, that your profession can often be a taboo topic and it just shouldn't be. So thank you very much. Thank you. If you have a topic you would like covered, get in touch via our socials. The contact details can be found in the episode notes. If you have loved listening today and are looking forward to future episodes, please subscribe, rate our show, share our podcast with your friends, work colleagues and families. So for now, goodbye. Thank you for tuning in today and see you next week.